0: You praise, Ben, leading us in worship. I was thinking about that song, There Is Not Another King Like Him. Amen? So thankful for King Jesus. I hope that you are as well. We've been in a series entitled Unwrapping Christmas, and this morning we're talking about Unwrapping Christmas again. And how many of you at this point in your journey begin to feel a little bit of the stress that Christmas season brings? So many things to do, presents to buy, places to go, uh, engagements, responsibilities, and all of a sudden you just feel that stress building. You ever felt that way? And maybe some of you are kind of taxed. Maybe you're taxed physically. Maybe you're taxed mentally. Or maybe you're taxed emotionally or even spiritually uh, during this time, and you just feel the weight. I don't know if you've ever been so tired where you felt like you didn't have enough energy just to take the next breath. You ever been that tired? You're just fatigued. And you know you know what's worse than being physically fatigued? Being mentally fatigued. Or being emotionally fatigued. Or even being spiritually fatigued. You know, I read an article this past week, several of them actually, and it said that the number one health problem in America is anxiety. The number two health problem in America is depression. And some of you are just mentally distressed because maybe you watch News week in and week out, maybe you're on social media and you're reading all these things and you see all the the devastation is taking place around us. I mean, I was thinking about the tornadoes that took place through Kentucky and, and Tennessee and those places last night and the destruction that's there. And so you see all the the devastation that's taking place around us. And maybe you get distressed when you think about inflation or maybe you get distressed when you think about politics or maybe you think about uh, the violence in this world and you just begin to get mentally taxed and anxious. Or maybe you uh, think about all the hatred that we see around us and the tension that's taking place with all the social justice movements and you just feel this tension is always building. And maybe you just have seen those things and it looks like this world's just falling apart. It looks like the world's just coming unglued and you get anxious because you realize it really is and it looks like it's coming unglued and you can't control it. You can't fix it and you get anxious. I'm going to let you know Something this morning, I want to let you know a little secret. You can't control it. You aren't even in control. You never have been, and you never will be. Did you know you can't even control your next heartbeat? That's beyond your control. But I've got good news for you. This world may look like it's coming in a glue. This world may look like that it's unraveling. But in Colossians 1.17, it says that in Jesus, all things consist. Jesus is maintaining this universe. He's maintaining this world. He is in control. Nothing is outside of His control. He's in control. And Jesus is the glue that holds this world together. So no matter what the world looks like, you can rest assured that Jesus is in control. He has this world in His grip. Some of you this morning, I think, are facing maybe some emotional fatigue and maybe you've been struggling in your marriage and maybe you're just like, I just, I'm going to throw in the towel. I just can't keep fighting for my marriage anymore. Maybe you're just burnt out at work, working a lot of hours and you just burnt out and it's just rolling over into other areas of your life, other relationships and things of that nature. Maybe some of you are in financial distress. Maybe some of you are Struggling through the loss of a loved one. And this time is really difficult. And you just feel all the burdens of life just kind of pressing on you emotionally. You may be like the guy who I read about who used his small truck as a transportation business. And so this man was driving down the road. And he was, had a load of chickens on his small truck. And this car was following him. And this car follow him and every mile or so that guy would stop that truck and he'd get out of his truck and he'd take a baseball bat and he'd begin to beat the side of his truck and he would scare all those chickens to death and this guy in the car thought what in the world is this man doing and about every mile or so he would do that so he thought well the next time he stops I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna ask him what he's doing beating the side of his truck scaring all those chickens and so when that man pulled off the next mile the guy in the car pulled off he said sir can you tell me why you keep getting out of your truck and then beating the side of your truck with a baseball bat? And that man said, well, I have a half-ton truck, and I'm carrying a ton of chickens, and so I have to keep half of them flying at all times. (laughs) And maybe that's how you feel. you got to keep beating the side of the truck to keep half of them flying. You feel like you're juggling, and you're just in distress emotionally. And so maybe some of you this morning are in mental distress. Maybe some of you are in emotional distress. Maybe some of you are in spiritual distress. And so this morning we're going to unwrap the gift of Christmas and we're going to find rest. And so we're in Hebrews chapter three and four, and I'll just let you know up front, there's no way I can unpack all the things in chapters three and four. I'm going to do my best. So you need to listen quick and carefully. So make sure you try to keep your full attention, but we're going to unwrap Christmas so you can find rest If you look in Hebrews chapter 3, and then in verse 3, we're not going to read all the verses at one time, but in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, you're going to see something about the book of Hebrews. It's always talking about Jesus is better than. Jesus is more supreme. Jesus is better than. In the very first few verses in Hebrews chapter 3, it says that Jesus is better than Moses. In verse 3 it says, For this one, Jesus, has been counted... Worthy of more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. And Moses indeed was, a, was faithful in all his house as a servant. Moses was a servant. But look in verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house. Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses was a servant in the house. And Jesus was the son over the house. So Jesus is greater than Moses. And as you begin to look through this, these through two chapters, you're going to realize that Moses led the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. That was a pretty great thing. But Moses was not able to lead the children of Israel into the Promised Land. He could not lead them into the place of rest. But Jesus is greater than Moses because not only can Jesus deliver you from the slavery of sin... He can lead you into the promised land. Jesus is greater. And so when you read the book of Hebrews, you will know this. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than the angels. And Jesus is greater than Moses. Now the very first thing I want you to notice this morning is that Moses could not give spiritual rest, but Jesus can. And the very first thing I want you to notice this morning is that there is an invitation to rest. An invitation to rest. Whatever is going on in your life, you have an invitation to rest. Write this verse down. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Jesus gives an invitation for you and to me. Jesus gives us an invitation to come to Him. It says this. Come to me. Come to me. All you who are laboring and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Are you mentally taxed? Are you emotionally taxed? Are you spiritually in distress? Jesus says, "Come to me, and I will give you rest." Isn't that a beautiful invitation? Come to me, and I will give you rest. You know, rest does not come from prosperity. Some people think if I just had a little bit more money, I could I could rest and I could relax. But you know, money really doesn't bring rest. In fact, I think it does the opposite. You don't relax when you have more money because you work hard to get it and then you have to work hard to keep it. And so you are not resting. Sometimes it causes more stress. But let me just say this. Money can buy a lot of things. But money cannot buy rest. Money can buy you comfort. But money cannot buy you contentment. Money can buy you pills. But money cannot buy you peace. Money can buy sex, but money cannot buy love. Money can buy you a bed, but it cannot buy you sleep. There are a lot of things that money cannot do, and rest will not be found in prosperity. You know, rest is not even in a place. You know, the the Israelites thought if they could just get to Canaan, they would finally have peace. And sometimes we think, "If if I could just get to the right job, I'll finally have peace. Or if I can just move into a better neighborhood or maybe into a a nicer town. If I can just get to a different place, I will be at rest. Some people think, if I can just get to a bigger house, I will finally be at rest. Some students will say, if I could just go to the right college or university, then I I will be at rest. But rest is not in a place. It's not in prosperity. Some of you think that rest and relaxation can be found in pleasure. And so some people go from pleasure to pleasure to pleasure looking for rest and relaxation and fulfillment. Have you ever looked at the countenance of someone who's lived a life of pleasure? Sinful pleasure? You ever notice about their countenance? It really sometimes shows itself on their countenance, on their face, the damage that that pleasure has done to their soul. And pleasure can't give you rest. Rest is not in prosperity. Rest is not in in a place. Rest is not in pleasure. Rest is in a person. And His name is Jesus. Rest is in a person. And so this morning, we're unwrapping the gift of Christmas, and we find Jesus. And in Jesus, we find rest. Now you might say, well, how does Jesus give me rest? How can Jesus give me rest? Well, for one, Jesus has paid your sin debt in full. Jesus gives you rest. Some people say, well, does does God just overlook my sin when I ask Him to forgive me? Does God just skip it? No, God does not skip your sin when you come to Him and ask Him to forgive you. Jesus paid for your sin. He doesn't skip your sin. He doesn't overlook your sin. You know, the Jews, they put all their faith in the law of Moses to save them. They thought, if we could just keep the law, then we will be able to be saved. And let me just say, if that's you, there's never any rest if you're trying to be saved by keeping the law. It just won't ever happen. Can you imagine how weary you would become if you tried to be saved by keeping the commandments? And by by your own goodness, can you imagine how exhausting that would be? Of course it would be exhausting. That's torture. Because none of us can keep the law perfectly, can we? Did you know if you sin just one time, just one time, the Bible says you are a lawbreaker and you are a sinner. Just once. Now, all of us are, more, are guilty of more than that, aren't we? How exhausting might that be? You know the problem with every world religion like Hinduism and, and uh, Islam and Buddhism. You know the problem with those religions? They're all works-based religions. They have no mechanism for getting rid of your sin. In other words, it's like a good versus bad. It's like a scale. And so my good must outweigh my bad. And so the only problem is you've got this bad thing over here, and I don't know how to get rid of it. Because there's no mechanism for that. Only in Christ can you get rid of your sin. He is the only way to, He's the only mechanism that we have for cleansing our sin. And so that's what Jesus did when He came to the the cross. He covered our sin. That's the mechanism. He shed His blood on Calvary's cross so that we wouldn't have to try to work our way to heaven. But we're saved by grace. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about God's grace. Jesus coming in the flesh to this earth to put on human skin to live righteously for us. And then he could die on the cross for us. He fulfilled the law of Moses. He didn't didn't just skip it, he fulfilled it. Jesus didn't ignore the law, he fulfilled the law of Moses. And you know what he says to you and to me? Come. Come to me. All you who are laboring and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me all you who are mentally tapped out. Come to me all you who are spiritually tapped out. Come to me all you who are emotionally taxed. Jesus did for you what the Ten Commandments could not do. Jesus has done for you what the but the law could not do. Jesus has done for you what Moses couldn't do. One of my favorite preachers to listen to is Adrian Rogers, and he always says things so wonderfully in just a sentence. And He said it this way. The law says run, but it doesn't give you any legs. The gospel says fly, and then it gives you wings. There's the contrast. And people are trying to find rest in all kinds of things, whether it's pleasure or people or prosperity. You know, a few years ago, we went to Burkina Faso in West Africa and we took a medical team and, and we were getting... But Burkina Faso is one of the poorest countries in the world. And we were taking a medical team to Burkina Faso and we were told, do not bring antidepressants because the people here are not depressed. In the poor, one of the poorest countries in the world, but then here in rich America, depression is one of the leading health problems in America. Prosperity cannot give you rest and peace. I love the words... Of the fourth century theologian St. Augustine, he said, "The soul is restless, and it will not rest until it finds its rest in Jesus." Is that true? The soul's restless. Until you look to Jesus for your rest, you'll never find rest. I love the verse, Psalm 55:22, it says, "Cast all your burden on the Lord, and He shall sustain you." John Phillips. You might not know that name, but he's a theologian. He's a commentator. He writes a lot of commentaries. Sometimes I like to read uh, uh, his commentaries. It's kind of lofty, but in, but he shared the story of a missionary friend who was in Africa. And uh, this missionary was driving down the road one day, and he saw a man who was carrying a heavy burden. And if you ever go to Africa, you know that's just normal. And he had a heavy burden on his shoulders, and he was trying to haul that burden down the road. He had compassion on him, so he pulled over. He said, "Would you like would you like to?" get on my truck and let me give you a ride. And that man was gracious and he got on that truck and he's driving down the road and that missionary driver, he's just driving down the road. He looks in his rearview mirror and this is what he sees. He sees that man sitting on the back of his truck and he still has that heavy load on his shoulder just like this. And that missionary is like, what in the world is he doing? So he pulls over. He says, why do you have that heavy load on your shoulders? Put it in the truck. And that man says, well, I didn't know this truck could hold me and the load. Isn't that how we are with Jesus sometimes? Can I really cast my burdens on Jesus? Can He really carry my load? He carried your burden to Calvary. That's how much He can carry. He says, come to Me, and I will give you rest. But I want you to look at Hebrews 3, chapter 3, verse 7. Now Jesus gives you an invitation. But I want you to see the urgency in that invitation. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. It says, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, today. Then look down at verse 13 for a moment. It says, exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Look at verse 15. While it is said, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Then I want you just to look over one chapter to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7. And look at what it says. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Do you see the urgency in responding to the invitation? Today, 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 today. Enter His rest today. Jesus gives you an in- invitation to enter His rest, but there's an urgency about responding today. Now these verses are talking about God leading the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery and He was leading them to the promised land. He got them right on the edge of Canaan. They were in the wilderness. He told them to go take the land and enter His rest in Canaan. But before they would do that, they said, hey, let's send out some spies. Let's send out twelve spies, one from each tribe, And let's send them in to scout up the land to see if we can take this land. And so they got 12 spies, sent them in. And when those 12 spies came back, you know the story. Ten of them said, we can't take the land. They're too big, they're too powerful, they're too strong. We cannot take the land. Only two said they could. And so they refused to enter the rest of the promised land. But yet God had told them to go in and take it. He'd already given it to them. In Hebrews chapter 3 verse 9 It says that they had seen the works of God. They had already seen God's works before then, hadn't they? I mean, they were there whenever the ten plagues attacked uh, the Egyptians and God was letting them go. They were there when the death angel came and struck the firstborn of every Egyptian, but somehow God spared the Hebrews. They were witnesses. They were witnesses whenever they traveled out of Egypt. And they got to the Red Sea and God parted the Red Sea and let them walk across on dry land. And then He closed that Red Sea up on the Egyptians who were pursuing them. They were witnesses to all these miracles and they refused to believe God when it came to their salvation. And so what we see here is their hearts were hard and so they would not enter God's rest in the land of Canaan. They didn't get to to enjoy the rest that God promised because they would not respond. And God has offered you rest, you know, Sometimes we have so many good intentions. We mean to respond. You know, just like yesterday, I was invited to go to an event where somebody was having a Christmas outing and I meant to write it down on my calendar. I intended to. But for some reason, I failed to do that. And guess when I realized that I missed it? This morning. You know, some of you, if you're not careful, you're going to miss what God has in store for you because you have good intentions, but you will not respond. Respond. I think it was Benjamin Franklin who coined the phrase, never put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Never put off your salvation until tomorrow when it's available today. Today. You know, the more you hear the gospel and reject it, the harder your heart becomes. The more you you, John Henry, <laughs> the more you hear the gospel over and over and over and you hear the Holy Spirit and you refuse, the more callous you become. It's kind of like whenever... Because I don't play guitar like John does. I mean he, he's playing my guitar. Didn't it sound good? The guitar makes all the difference, doesn't it? But when you, when you play a guitar, your fingers get calloused. And the more you play, the more callous they become, and they don't hurt anymore, right? That's what happens when you hear the gospel and your heart's tender and you just reject it, reject it, reject it and initially, and then all of a sudden, you, your heart's calloused, and you don't feel it anymore. You're not sensitive. And so the invitation is today. And there's an invitation to rest. I also want to give you the stipulation of rest. There's a stipulation that goes with the invitation. God offers you an invitation to rest. But there's a stipulation to that invitation. And that stipulation is faith. F-A-I-T-H, faith. If you want the rest that Jesus offers, you must come in faith. Believing Him. And the reason the Israelites didn't get to go into the promised land was because of unbelief. A lack of faith. And the reason that the children of Israel didn't get to enter God's rest was because of unbelief. Unbelief locked the door into the promised land. Unbelief. Hebrews 3.16 says this, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt? Led by Moses? All of them. Verse 17, Now with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And verse 18 says, And to him did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey. You might stop right there and think, well, see, it's, it's based on works. Don't miss the next verse. So we see they could not enter because of unbelief. Unbelief. They would not obey. And the reason the Israelites did not get to go into the promised land was because of unbelief. Faith is the key that opens the door. Faith. Now Jesus gave an invitation, and that Im- invitation has a stipulation. We must accept Him by faith. Now I want you to look at Hebrews 4 2 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2 says Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. That's interesting. The gospel was preached to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Why did it not profit them? Because they did not have faith. The children of Israel heard the gospel. He said, well, how did they hear the gospel? The gospel wasn't even written at that time. They had already heard that one day God was going to provide a Messiah. They knew that their Savior would come. They didn't know all the details, but they knew enough. They heard the gospel, but it didn't benefit them because it wasn't mixed with faith. Now the gospel cannot give you rest without faith. Can't do it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, But without faith... It is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now some people think they have to work for their salvation. Some people believe that. and some of you right now, you're trying to work for your salvation, and so you're working hard, and you're trying to work for your salvation, and you are in spiritual distress. Because you realize how many times you fail. I love John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever does good works... Is that what it says? No. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever has no sin... No. No. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever can be better than everybody else. No. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but would have everlasting life. See, we have faith in in a work. And it is the work of Christ. That's where our faith lies. What is the work of Jesus? The work of Jesus is real clear. One day, the spotless, sinless Son of God carried a rugged cross up to a a place outside of Jerusalem. We know it sometimes as Golgotha in Hebrew or Calvary in Latin. And on that rugged cross, He died for our sin and set us free from sin and death. Jesus had never sinned, never lied to anyone, Never thought a wrong thought, never did a wrong thing, never said a wrong thing, and he died on the cross. All of our sin was laid on him. That's the work of Christ. Look at Hebrews 4 3 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. It says, For we who have believed do not enter that rest as he said, So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Don't miss this. Although, Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. What work was finished from the foundation of the world? Write this down. Revelation 8. Revelation 13.8 says this. The Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. You know, I read an article last week that said that 37% of church-going people do not believe that Jesus existed before His physical birth. 37% of church-going people believe that Jesus did not exist before His physical birth. If Jesus did not exist before His physical birth, His death has no power to save you. But Jesus was the creator of this world, the sustainer of this world, and now He is the Savior of this world because He existed before His birth. He was not just another man, but He was a God-man. And in Revelation thirteen eight, it says that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the earth. The work of the cross was already planned before creation, and it was already executed before creation. The Lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth. I don't know about you, but that's exciting. It was a done deal. God already had a plan. It wasn't an afterthought. It was the, it was the forethought. And the reason so many people are weary they're trying to work their way to heaven. They have not believed in a gospel of grace. Isn't it wonderful to know that we don't have to work our way to heaven? Isn't it wonderful to know that we're saved by grace, through faith, and not of ourselves, not of works? Nobody's ever going to go to heaven and say, well, I got here on my own merit. I got here by my own good works. No, we're all going to go to heaven and we're going to say, I am saved by grace through faith. That's how I'm saved. By the blood of Christ. That's how I'm saved. Not my own good merit, thank God. You ought to be thanking God too. I'm not the only sinner. <laughs> Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus gave the invitation. Come. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, He gives the stipulation. What is the stipulation? He said, take my yoke upon you. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now you're thinking, what is this yoke about? That doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like something pleasing. That doesn't sound like a rest. That sounds like a burden. Jesus is going to put a yoke on us? You know what a yoke was? It was that wooden... A harness that they would put on oxen. Sometimes they'd customize it to fit the oxen. Can you imagine putting a wooden yoke? What is Jesus talking about? That doesn't sound like rest. It sounds like a burden. But there's a reason why they put that wooden harness on the ox. and so that the master could steer that ox where he wanted it to go. So the master could be in control. And so whenever you think about the The yoke that Jesus is talking about, He's not talking about a burden. He's talking about submission. He's talking about, I'm going to allow myself to be under the control of Jesus. I'm going to yield my will to His. That's what it means to to come under His yoke. It means to submit to His leadership. I give Him power over my life. Not too many. Maybe a year ago or two years ago, I was um, was at the fire department and uh, this guy came up and I saw him. He was working there. He was on a chain gang. And I knew him. I said, man, what are you doing on a chain gang? He said, well, I got in a little bit of trouble. I got a little habit. I said, okay. I said, listen, when you get out of here, I want you to call me. Because I know a ministry that can help you. And it's called Teen Challenge. It's not just for teens, but it's called Teen Challenge. And and they, they have a good success rate. It takes about a year to go through this program, but you'll get clean. And you can get a new life in Christ because they disciple you in Christ. I said, you can't beat this on your own. He said, a year? I said, yes, it takes a year, but you'll be clean. He said, I can't do a year. I said, you'll either do a year or you'll do 20 years of an addiction. you got to choose. But you will not beat this on your own. And you know what happens? Some people think that the yoke of Jesus is too heavy for them. And yet Jesus says the yoke is light. You think about this man who's addicted to this the thing that c- it controls him and his life is all in shambles and he thinks that that's a greater cost than the, than the yoke of Christ. Jesus said, my burden is light. I don't tell you what. The yoke of Jesus is much lighter and easier than the burden of a sin-filled life. And Jesus offers you rest. But the stipulation is you must believe by faith. If you want rest for your soul, you must yield control to Christ. Let me give you a third thing. I know time's going. Uh, uh, There's a manifestation of rest. Look at Hebrews 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest. A promise remains of entering His rest. Now I could talk to you a lot about the different types of rest. I'm going to move on. There was a Sabbath rest. And you know what they did? They kind of abused the Sabbath rest. It became a legalistic thing. And for example, when we were in Israel just a, just a few years ago, we, there was a, an elevator in the hotel. It was called a Shabbat elevator, a Sabbath elevator. And what would happen would be it would stop on every single floor. You didn't have to push a button because pushing a button would be considered work. And sometimes we miss the mark, and that's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not what the Bible is talking about here. That's not what Hebrews is talking about. And then there was another kind of rest. It was called a, a rest from Egyptian slavery. And God had delivered them from this Egyptian bondage and there was a rest from slavery. And that was a good thing. But they were there in the wilderness and God had something better for them. But there they were in the wilderness and they weren't enjoying the salvation that God offered because they were still stuck in the wilderness. You know, there was no danger that they were going back to Egypt. God had delivered them. There was no danger... That they were going to ever be back in Egyptian slavery at that time. God had delivered them. Some people think, well, if you sin once you're a Christian, then you're lost again. Well, that's not the point. They were never going back. But the point was, they weren't enjoying the salvation that God had provided. Because there they were in the wilderness. Yes, they they were set free from this slavery, but they weren't enjoying all the benefits of being saved, they weren't enjoying all the blessings. You know, Jerry Vines called those people, he said, you know, Christians can be like that. We can be wilderness Christians. Yes, God, we're saved. We're saved from the slavery of sin, but we're not enjoying all the, the wonderful benefits of being in fellowship with Christ. And we're wilderness Christians. And some of you may be wilderness Christians this morning. You know, a wilderness Christian never gets to enjoy the rest that God provides. You know, a wilderness Christian, they never pursue holiness. They want to live kind of, in the world, but on the edge of the promised land, on the edge of Canaan. I really don't want all the benefits of Christ. I just don't want to suffer the you know, hell, basically. I want to be free from that, but I don't really want to live in Canaan. And so they live on the edge, maybe. And so there was a group of people, maybe you're one of them, it's a wilderness Christian. You don't really immerse yourself in God's church. You want to live on the fringe, just on the outskirts. And then there was a Canaan rest. And the Canaan rest is when people finally crossed over into the promised land. And when the children of Israel crossed into the promised land, they really found rest. They had a rest from their wandering wilderness. They had rest in the promised land, in Canaan. But I don't want you to get the idea just because they were in Canaan that all their hardship was over. Did you know when they got to Canaan, they had some battles to still fight? They still had some hardship. They still had some adversity. They still faced suffering. See, their rest did not come because they were in Canaan. Their rest became, came because they fought their battles in faith. Faith in God and faith in His Word. Faithful, They had faith in His promises. And there are some Canaan Christians who live victorious. And the rest that they enjoy comes from their relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean that they're free from calamity. It doesn't mean they're free from adversity. It doesn't mean that you're going to be free from any kind of activity. That's not the rest he's talking about. It's resting in God's promises. Resting in God's word. No matter what comes your way. The rest comes from submitting yourself to the control of Christ. I love how Corrie Tim Boom said it. Corrie Tim Boom was in a concentration camp when she was a child. She said, if you look around you, well, you will be distressed. If you look inside of you, well, you will be depressed, but if you look to Jesus, then you will be at rest. Isn't that true? But I'm gonna give you one last thing. You don't have to wait till you die to have rest for your soul, but we need to have an anticipation of a better day coming. An anticipation of rest. In Hebrews 4 8. It says, for if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. He's speaking of another day somewhere out there. Joshua led them into the promised land, but there's still another day coming. He's not talking about Canaan rest. He's talking about eternal rest. And there remains, in verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered rest has himself also ceased from the works of God as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Now, Joshua couldn't give them the rest. There's another day coming. And so the writer of Hebrews is talking about an eternal rest. I don't know about you, but are are you looking for the day when the trumpet's going to sound and the clouds will be rolled back and the Lord will descend and we will forever be with the King Jesus we sang about. There will be no more exhaustion, no more frustration, no more addiction, no more temptation, no more distraction. I love how Revelation 14, 13 says it. You ought to write it down. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. And then, one of my favorite verses of hope in all of the Bible is found in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 and following. It says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them. We just sang about it. He will dwell with us, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death. Are you struggling emotionally? There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away than he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I'll make all things new. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. I was thinking about when they were singing that song. I'm looking forward to today whenever Jesus is going to heal all the disease. Aren't you? There are better days coming no matter what you're going through. There are better days coming if you are in Christ. But I don't want you to think if, that the Christians are the only ones who will be raised when the trumpet sounds. Everyone will be raised. In Daniel chapter 12, verse two, Daniel said this, "And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame or, and uh, everlasting contempt." And then Jesus said in John 5:28, "For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice, and they will come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Have you ever seen someone put RIP on a tombstone after somebody dies? That means what? Rest in peace. If they die without Christ, they will not have rest in peace. Revelation 20, 13 says this. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. It says, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If you reject Jesus, there is no rest for your soul. Rest is only found in Jesus. And you must find your rest in Jesus. And his invitation is, Today. Today. Would you pray with me? And while you've got your heads bowed, and you're, you're just processing what we've been talking about, I want to give you some ways to respond to the invitation. Number one, if you're sitting in this church, maybe you've been here all your life, but you've never trusted Christ, you've never put your faith in Jesus, then you need to come today. Today, no delay. You need to put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not your own goodness, but in Christ and Christ alone. Or maybe this morning you are saved and you are a wilderness Christian. And you're wandering out there somewhere and you're not really in fellowship with God like you ought to be. Maybe it's time for you to come back and say, God, I want the rest that you promise in your word. And I'm willing to come under your authority. I'm willing to admit control over my life to you. And I know that your yoke is lighter and easier than the yoke of sin. And so maybe you need to come this morning and just kneel at the altar. Say, God, I, I submit to you. Or maybe you are a Canaan Christian and you're living victoriously, but you are facing some battles. And maybe you're facing some adversity, some hardship. And maybe you just need to say, God, I need you to help me fight these battles in faith. I can't win them on my own. Would you, in just a moment as we sing, would you respond? And don't be afraid. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you that he is our source of rest. And so today, Lord, if anybody's in turmoil, in distress, would you put it on their heart to respond to you this morning? Thank you for being our rest today, tomorrow, and for those who are in Christ forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing? To every question, the one solution.